Thank you for listening to the Restoration City Church Podcast. For more information about our church or to support us financially, please visit rtc.church. I love the way that uh, Lucy kind of started our time together by just inviting us to take a deep breath because that's so much of what is on uh, my mind tonight. And every time I get the chance to celebrate Christmas Eve with our community, I always think about what is one of my favorite moments whenever I get to do uh, a wedding. Whenever I have the privilege of being a part of a wedding, I love to get just a few minutes, like right before the ceremony, ceremony starts to go pray uh, with the groom and then to go pray with the bride. And those are like two um, incredibly holy but very different experiences. The groom is usually more nervous than he wants to let on, but, you know, kind of going with this like, come on, bro, let's just do this thing kind of vibe over there. And that's good. And we pray and we have our moment. And then we kind of go over to uh, the bride and the bridesmaids and the rules over there are a little different. Thou shalt not make the bride cry, right? Because one of the rules I had to learn as a young pastor is that even happy tears ruin makeup, and that's not an option 10 minutes before the ceremony. So we are a little more gentle, a little more cautious in our approach over there, but have this moment. And my goal with both the bride and the groom in that moment is to invite them to do what Lucy invited us to do, which is to take a breath and realize that this thing that they have anticipated for so long is happening. This thing that they've planned for and dreamed of is happening. And the last thing they want to do is miss out on the moment because they're trying to remember, did they tell the DJ how to pronounce the best man's last name for the toast that's going to come later in the day? And it's like, look, nobody's probably going to remember the best man toast anyway, so don't worry about the pronunciation of the last name. And don't you dare miss out on the holiness of this moment because you're worried about a little detail. And I always feel that on Christmas Eve, like we need... That moment, because we don't want to just go charging through the holiday and miss out on what God has for each and every single one of us. And part of my belief is that God does have something specific and something unique for each and every single one of us who is here tonight, each and every single one of us who's watching online, each and every single one of us who will hear this message later. Because the story of Christmas is the story of God drawing near to us and then inviting us to draw near to him. John chapter 1 verse 14 says it this way, says the word, which is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt Among us. Eugene Peterson, one of my heroes in life, a pastor who's gone on to be with Jesus, but wrote a paraphrase of scripture called The Message. And his translation of John 1.14 said, The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Right? This story of Christmas is the story of a God who wants to be a part of the fabric of our lives. The story of a God who wants to be with you, regardless of what your circumstances look like tonight. This story of a God who's moving towards you, who is drawing near to you and inviting you 
to draw near to him. And if we were to take God up on that invitation to draw near to him, this Christmas has the potential to become incredibly sacred and incredibly holy because we really do have the opportunity to connect with God. But the mistake we normally make is we think that this idea of drawing near to God is kind of a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. And I'd love to free us up from that tonight. I would love for us to realize that we are all going to respond to Christmas in our own unique way. We're all going to take in this story of Jesus in our own way, and we're all going to respond in our own way. But if we're faithful to what God is trying to do in our lives, if we follow the path that God is laying out for us, we will have a profound encounter with the Holy One of Israel. We will have a profound encounter with the Prince of Peace. But in order to do that, you have to be clear on what it is that God is inviting you to do in response to Christmas. And I find a lot of freedom in the fact that when we look at the second chapter of Luke's gospel that Missy read for us earlier, we see a number of different responses to the story of Christmas, right? You can almost see this as a number of different invitations that God is offering. And my hope is that you will find yourself in at least one of the four different invitations we're going to look at very quickly tonight. The first one is this invitation to celebration. Luke chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, right? The angel is sent to the shepherds. Behold, today I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today, Savior has been born to you in the city of David. That announcement is accompanied by this multitude of a heavenly host. And the heavenly host, this angelic choir, shows up to praise God. And they say, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. Right? And I always kind of think of this as like, the night where the angels snuck out of heaven, right? It's like one of them had like the legit hall pass to be like, look, we need you to go down and tell the shepherds Jesus has been born, kind of set the whole thing in motion. But well, that one kind of has permission to go down and make a little announcement. Well, he's on his way down. It's like everybody else just decides to bust out with him and they show up in the heavens and they sing this song because they are overwhelmed by the significance of what's happening in this moment because they know Jesus. They've been with Jesus in heaven for all eternity. They know that he's the one who's seated at the right hand of the Father. They know that he is the one who created everything. They know that he is the one who is worshipped continually by a choir of angels. They know that he is the one who is ultimately going to redeem and restore the world. They know he's a really big deal. And yet in this moment, this one that they have always seen in unapproachable glory is now in a manger as a little baby. And it's like they just freak out. They're like, do you see what's happening? This is Jesus. This is the one the angels worship. And he's here. He's here in the most improbable, unlikely, helpless, dependent forms possible. He's here as a baby. This past weekend, our staff and elder team got together for brunch at our house to 
celebrate Christmas and how much we love serving with each other. And my, my kids, as we were getting ready for that, asked what they always ask, which is like, oh, hey, will there be any kids at this party? That's what they want to know. And I was like, well, yeah. I mean, John, Michael, and Catherine are going to come, and they're going to come with, with Oakley, a 10-month-old son. And in, like, unison, they were like, what? He's not a kid. He's a baby. I was like, I'm sorry, what's the, uh, what's the difference? I'm, he's a kid. He's 10 months. They're like, no, 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 no. He's a, he's a baby. Like, you can't play baseball with him. You can't play soccer with him. He can't walk upstairs. And I'm like, ah, okay, this feels like a good moment for me to do a little parenting. You're right. You cannot play baseball with him, either by throwing a ball at him or using him as a baseball. You cannot play soccer with him. You cannot bounce him, dribble him, toss him, roll him, flip, nothing. Just touch his little feet and say, Merry Christmas, right? That's how we're going to do this. But they had this sense in them. They're like, what? We're like big and tough. We're like six, seven, and nine. We've arrived. We can spell our own names. Like, he's a baby. He's a baby for crying out loud. And the angels are like, yeah, I'm sorry. He's the one who made the heavens and he's a baby. And they come, and it is this eruption of praise. And I'm saying that because I truly believe, and I assume that some of us are headed into a day or a week or a season where what God has for you is undiluted celebration. And I don't want you to feel bad about that. That seems to be one of God's invitations to us at Christmas. There's this sense in us of like, look, it's been a couple of years. It's been three years, right, since we've been able to do Christmas. And we're not even sure this one is totally normal. But man, it's been a while and you feel this sense of like, I don't care that it's 12 and a half degrees outside. I don't care that inflation is out of control. I don't care that we still have COVID and just added in the flu and RSV for variety's sake this year. I don't care about any of that. I'm going to have a party. And I think some of us have a view of God where I'm like, all right, my job as the pastor is to be like, look, I get it. Just keep it under control. And I'm like, no, my job as a pastor is to say, may God be the center of your party and may God be the source of your deepest joy. I hope some of us encounter Jesus through raucous celebration this Christmas. But some of us aren't quite sure we're ready to celebrate, which is why we also have to see that there's this invitation to what we might call investigation. Right? Because when I start talking about angels bursting into the clouds and singing and shepherds and Jesus, some of you are like, wait a minute, I'm sorry. Do you actually believe like for real that happened? Or you think that's like a nice like poetic story that shows that God is love and peace and mercy? And at the risk of seeming foolish, I want you to know that, of course, I believe that really did happen. That there really was a night where heaven pressed a little closer to earth and the angels celebrated. And you've got questions about that. And I understand that and I respect that you would admit that it is interesting that this story that seems like a fairy tale seems to have held really strong for 2,000 years, but still you have questions. And I want you to know that there's people in Luke chapter 2 who had some questions themselves. Look at verse 15 and 16. When the angels had left them, that's the shepherds, and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, 
Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. There's no doubt from the text that they went to Bethlehem. They went straight there. They went quickly. They went directly. But I don't think that was really this holy pilgrimage. I think it was much more a journey of investigation. Because these are just ordinary guys, not particularly well-educated, who are out in the middle of a field doing an ordinary job when all of a sudden this ridiculous thing happens. And there's no doubt they stood there in absolute terror and shock watching a choir of angels sing. And then when that moment is over, I'm sure there's this awkward pause. And there's kind of a sanity check. Right? Like, did you see that? You, you saw it. Because I, I saw it. Did you hear that? No, I heard it too. Yeah, I heard it. Did you? Okay. This is going to sound crazy. Let's go, let's go check it out. Let's go see if this is real. I think they were, they were wondering. They're like, man, did, was this just mass delusion? Or am I really going to go find the Savior of the world in a feeding trough? And just to be really clear, this little journey to go investigate, man, they were risking a lot in that moment. Right? They, they, no doubt what they did was draw straws, and some of them got to go to Bethlehem, but some of them stayed back with the flock. Because right? it wasn't like they were just watching like three or four sheep and could like bring the sheep with them and be like, you just wait outside. They would have been watching hundreds of sheep. And there's no way they're bringing hundreds of sheep with them. So they're like, all right, you guys stay here. We'll go check it out. Like, can you imagine what would have happened to them if they kind of leave the job, go check out the angelic vision, and something happens to the sheep, and the owner of the sheep finds out, like, wait a minute, I just lost a bunch of my sheep because half of you clowns were off checking out a singing angel vision? You're fired on the spot. Game over. It's done at that point. They were risking a lot to go ask their questions. Maybe the only thing worse is that they get away with it, nothing happens, and the owner of the sheep finds out and is like, oh, I can reduce the workforce next year. But they're risking a lot. And I say that because if you're really in a moment of investigation, I understand it feels risky to investigate this story of Jesus because for crying out loud, you're educated. For crying out loud, you've started to build your life on certain assumptions and certain foundations. And it feels risky to start asking questions about, is this whole Jesus thing real? Because, man, a whole bunch of stuff is going to have to happen. I understand that. Investigation carries with it risk, but don't you owe it to yourself to do what those shepherds did? Don't you owe it to yourself to go figure out whether this whole thing is real or it's just a big old fairy tale? And I want you to know that this invitation to investigate is as holy and sacred as the invitation to celebrate. Some of us are in a season of investigation. Some of us are in a season where we need to respond to an invitation to contemplation. Because right? you've got a party going on, and you've got shepherds investigating, 
But then you have Mary, Luke chapter 2, verse 19. Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. Turns out Mary was an introvert. Who knew, right? She's off there, just needs a little time to process all of this stuff inside. And for some of us, that's what you need most during this season. You need a moment to get alone with God and to let the wonder of Christmas wash over your heart all over again. What you want to do is get up early tomorrow morning and light a candle and be with God and savor this moment. Or maybe there's things you need to rethink about life. Either way, Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And maybe some of us feel this deep yearning for stillness and contemplation to connect deeply and quietly and reverently with God. And for others, we feel an invitation to surrender. For this one, we've got to jump out of Luke's story and go to Matthew's gospel for just a minute. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. Not only do these wise men know to be in the right moment at the right time, but they show up with a stunning amount of clarity about who Jesus is. They know that he has been born king of the Jews. They know that he's worthy of worship. They know that he is a divine Messiah. And here's what I want you to see. With all of this knowledge that they have, these are men of influence. These are men of wealth, of position, of power. They do not show up in that moment to start forging an alliance with Jesus. They don't show up to get in good with the family. They don't show up to start earning favor. It's not like they have this insight of like, look, this Jesus guy is going to be a really big deal and you're going to be really happy a couple years from now if you're able to tell everybody, oh, Jesus? Yeah, I was there at the beginning. <laughs> Hello. I was the first people to bring him gifts. He and I are super tight. What's he doing today? Walking on water? Oh yeah, man, I, I, I saw that coming way back when in the manger. He was such a special little guy and I was there. Were you there? They're not there for any of that. They're there to offer him praise and honor. Look at how they do it. Enter, verse 11, entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts. Gold, which would have been a sign that he was a king. Frankincense, that the aroma of praise would rise to heaven. And myrrh, oddly enough, something that was used to prepare a body for burial. As if they somehow knew that this child of Christmas would make his greatest contribution to the world through his death. But they fall to their knees in worship. And look, I believe that there are some of us here tonight who know exactly who Jesus is. You've got as much clarity as the wise men did. You know who Jesus is. And you believe. But what you desperately need to do is fall on your knees in worship. What you need to do is surrender. What you need to do is offer some things to God. 
Maybe you need to just offer him your need to be in control. Maybe you need to just offer to him a willingness to be used in whatever way he wants to use you. Maybe you need to offer to him your finances, your pride, you name it, whatever it is, but we need a moment of surrender. And here's what I want you to see as we get ready to sing together. Those are four really different invitations, aren't they? Celebration, investigation, contemplation, surrender. There's a lot of room in there, right? So Christmas is not a one-size-fits-all kind of moment. But as different as those four invitations are, they all lead to a profound encounter with God. Not one of those people go home disappointed. Nobody leaves feeling like, man, I got stuck with contemplation where what I really wanted was celebration. It's not like anybody like unwraps the wrong gift. But I think some of us feel pressure where we're like, man, what my heart is longing for is contemplation. But I don't think it's going to be possible, so I'm just going to settle for something else. Some of us may feel pressure to surrender before we've ever had the chance to investigate. Some of us are longing for celebration, but we're like, I get it. Contemplation was the holy answer, so I'll take that. Look, they're all holy answers. God loves you. God wants to connect with you. God is inviting you to connect with him. And my prayer for you is that you would hear his voice, know what his invitation to you looks like this Christmas, and that you would follow him in it. And in that, you would meet him. So Father, I just want to pray that very simply over our church, over this community. Jesus, I am asking you, this miracle child of Christmas, to do something supernatural in this moment. That you would cut through everything that's happening even around us right now and you would whisper into our souls what your invitation is for us this Christmas. That for some of us, you would highlight celebration. For some of us, you would just make us okay with investigation. For some of us, you would highlight contemplation. And for some of us, you would underscore surrender. Jesus, show us how you're coming towards us and help us to come towards you. Help us to believe and know and trust. Help us to be lost in the wonder of Christmas. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.